Well, first of all, thank you for joining us today on this chat about uh, neighborhood effects and secondary students. One of the things all of us know who've been in the school business very long at all is that the majority of um, secondary students and their parents, we actually don't involve them very much. And I want to show you a model that we've been field testing now for some time. We're going to field test for some time now. It's a one that we have used with over 30,000 parents. And so I want to talk a little bit about how my thinking has changed um, and what I am moving toward now. First of all, I want to start with a story. You know I love stories. This summer, I took on a young man who's 18 years old, comes from a high poverty area, and he is going to community college. And I said I'd help him pay for his college. Well, one of the things that happened right off the bat was that I have been amazed as we go down the path. He's smart. He's intelligent. He uh, is motivated. He has no bad habits. He is um, very difficult family situation, a lot of meth use, drug use. Um, and he found out that he took the ACT, uh, but the one thing that happened is that he didn't have any preparation. He got into college, so I found out he was going to have $74,000 in college debt. So I said, let me help you. Well, one of the first things we found out was that he, the knowledge about how you go to a college campus, how you get in, uh, enrolled, he didn't have. And I found there were knowledge holes. He had survival skills, but knowledge holes for college. So what we're going to look at is buffering neighborhood effects, because what I've come to understand, what the research is pretty clear about, we won't be able to do it alone as an institution anymore. Uh, because there's so many neighborhood effects, there's internet access, there's internet influence. And one of the most interesting studies I did was a study for the American Middle Level Education. And I wrote a book for them called Achievement for All. And it's about the stages that you go through developmentally when you're an adolescent. And then what that does to your developmental cycle. And one of the things I found was fascinating to me is that I found that there's one identifier in particular in middle school that really impacts whether or not you finish high school at a lot. And just take a minute. What do you think that was? Because it stunned me. I was absolutely stunned by it. What would you think that one character was? What do you think it was? Just a guess. Belonging, where you live, a mentor, persistence. Actually, it was a physical characteristic. It's whether or not you go through puberty early. If you go through it two years ahead of your peers or more, uh, the negative impacts were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, for girls, it had to do with early pregnancy, sexual abuse. For boys, it had to do with early criminality. Um, it was absolutely amazing, and I was stunned. And that's one of the things that we don't do any interventions around, but it has to do with neighborhood effects as well. 
One of the interesting things in the research is that children, students who are African-American and students from poverty tend to go through puberty earlier because of, particularly in the case of poverty, it has to do with diet. In the case of African-Americans, it has to do with heredity. But one of the things I realized is that for both Edwin, my young man I'm helping through college, and for many of our students, the key thing that will keep you on the path is having a relationship that will buffer you through neighborhood effects. And I would like to go through a program we've used with 30,000 adults in 250 communities in America that has a fabulous ROI, return on investment. You all are familiar with this book, Framework for Understanding Poverty. Um, but we started about 15 years ago working on the community side with actual adults in poverty as well as our work with uh, school districts and school institutions. We developed a program called Bridges Out of Poverty and a book called Getting Ahead in a Getting By World. And it's a fascinating book that we've been used with adults in poverty. If you'd like to tweet to me, i love to have those if you want to tweet. But what are neighborhood effects in poverty? Well, I don't think they're a surprise to us at all. It's early pregnancy, dropouts, no work or intermittent work for men, crime, drugs, gangs, violence. And the interesting thing about all this is that on the average, and this is a Berliner's research on, that a student has 1,150 waking hours a year in school, but they have 4,700 waking hours outside of school. And once you hit puberty, your peers are just more important to you in many ways. And if you have a lot of those neighborhood effects, they impact how you interact with peers. In fact, one of the most interesting studies is a study that was called ACE. And what we know about the ACE study, and if you go online and Google it, you can get the Adverse Child Experiences um, checklist and it's 10 questions it's a very simple question checklist and there is a book that i'm going to um it's called childhood disrupted and i'm going to recommend it to you uh how your biography becomes your, your biology and in that book they talk about the ace study and these two doctors found that they couldn't understand why in People in their 30s and 40s were coming to them with such incredible physical illnesses. And so they started researching their childhood. And they asked them these 10 questions. And they got one point for each question. And what they found was this, that if you had an A score of 1.4 or higher, you were twice as likely to smoke, seven times as likely to have sex before the age of 15, and be an alcoholic. Furthermore, they found that if you had an ACE score of zero, you had no adverse childhood experiences. Only 3% had a learning behavioral problem. But if you had an ACE score of four or higher, 51% had learning or behavioral problems. Okay. And furthermore, they found that with a study of 1,000 juveniles in detention in the Chicago area, if they had an ACE score of six or higher, 
66% had a diagnosable psychiatric disorder and their average standardized vocabulary test score was 5 percentile. Now, what does this mean? It means very simply that we can no longer ignore neighborhood effects. And the good news is this. The good news is that in the studies, they found there was an effective antidote, and it's simply this, that when parents and other caregivers are able to form nurturing close relationships with their children, they foster resilience in them, and it protects them from the worst effects of a harsh environment. In fact, it's biochemical. Now, they don't know why, but they know it's there. And so like the story I started out with, my young man, Edwin, there have been so many things that have happened to him in the short month I have been working with him. And I have really have taken on the financial responsibility. What happens in this is that if it were not, I've said to my husband on more than one occasion, you know what? If it weren't, if it weren't for us, he would have dropped out already. For example, one of the things that happened is his parents, after he came, we moved him to Texas from West Virginia so that he would, it's less expensive here to get him educated. And so he, he, we would be closer to him. And one of the things that happened, he found out that the high school he went to, and this is no reflection on any state, it's just that he went to a high school in a very, very poor rural area. And it could happen a hundred places across the United States, okay? He had A's in Algebra 1, Algebra 2. But when he got to um, community college, he had to take three remedial courses in math. So the bottom line on the thing is the teacher, he went up to the teacher for help and she said, you just need to get a tutor. And I'm like, really? So doesn't she have hours, office hours? But one of the things that happens is that without that relationship, you can't, it's difficult. It's very difficult to buffer neighborhood effects, particularly if there's early puberty. So how do you do that? And for males, it's problematic at a second level because there's fewer adult men in high poverty neighborhoods. There's more adult men in jail, okay? Role identity is a huge issue and there's an absence of permanent work. And so what happens when you start looking at how do you buffer the neighborhood effects? I'd like to start with a story. Again, you know I like stories. In the night, this is a true story. In the 1960s in uh, California, there was a man who said we would be able, and I'm going to flip ahead to some slides. There was a man who said if they put white lines on highways, they would save lives. And everybody laughed at it. They said, oh, that's not even possible, you know? So he took his own money. And on about, I think it was a 20-mile stretch of I-5, which is the road that goes down Southern California, he painted white lines on the road. Well, highway fatalities were significantly reduced. 
if we wanted to improve our highway fatality rates in high, in states, we would do three things. Okay, we would test the drivers, make sure they knew what they were doing. We would inspect the vehicles, and we'd fix the roads. Well, you know what? We have the same business. In, we, we have the same thing in the school business. We want to improve student achievement and student outcomes. So what do we do? We test the students to death, okay? We inspect the schools. You know, accountability is a big deal. But we don't do anything about the roads. And what are the roads? Neighborhood effects. Because we believe we can't fix them. We don't think we can do anything about it. So we pretend they don't exist. And students from poverty, they come to us from these neighborhoods where there's huge potholes in the roads. There's all kinds of issues, okay? And we just say, mm, sorry. We won't talk about that because we can't address it. Actually, we can, okay? And that's what I want to go to. How do we address it? But before I talk about how, I want to talk about why. And why it is such an issue for us. I'm going to stop for a minute. There's a question in the chat box I want to answer. And I want to see if you have any questions about my analogy. Does the analogy make sense? And then I'll answer how I met Edwin. Okay. And the way I met Edwin is this. I knew Edwin since he's five years old. His dad was a carpenter for my husband before my former husband died, okay? And so once he kept in touch with me over the years via Facebook, et cetera, but when he started going to college and getting ready to do that, he asked me for help, and I was giving him just advice. And then I found out he didn't have transportation, so I helped him get a car. And then I found out that he was going to have $74,000 in debt for an undergraduate. I just said, you know what, because his parents made so much money, but it went into drugs. And so one of the things that happened, one thing led to another, and we felt like it would be better if he weren't quite so close to his hometown because of the um, uh, issues around drugs. Okay, And... So he came here. And one of the things is you have all the ingredients for success. But you have to have that I'm learning at a very, very deep level over and over again daily what it means to have that buffer of a relationship to impact uh, the neighborhood. Um, for example, it's okay to tell us he'd been down here two weeks and his parents decided they were going to come down here and live with him. And so I think that you just have issues over and over again. Um, and so what do we do about all this? And that's what I want to talk about, but why? Why would we even want to do it? And I want to talk, there is a, a coming storm. And I want to talk about what that coming storm is. Um, it's a storm that I'm very concerned about, and it has to do with um, 
four things. It has to do with these four things. Number one, in 2014, 54% of all children under the age of five in America got WIC. WIC is food stamps for children. That means that one out of two children now in public schools come out of poverty. Number two, only about 40% of households now have school-age children. 60% on the average do not. The households who do not have children are actually fairly resourced in many ways. The households who do have children are under-resourced. So when it comes time for a bond election in a community or a legislative vote for dollars for kids for schools, they're not there, okay? Um, and so it's going to be imperative for communities to begin to get their under-resourced parents behind them, okay? The third thing that's happening is the, part, the third part of the coming storm is this. There's a multiplier effect, and it's this. If you are a college-degreed person, female, you have your first child at 30.1 years, and you have 1.1 children. So in 90 years, that's three generations equals 3.3 children. But if you are uneducated, you don't have a high school diploma, and you don't have a GED, and you're female in America, you have... Your, ch your first children in your teens, you have 2.5 children on the average. In 90 years, that's five generations because an 18-year repeat pattern. And in 90 years, that's 48.6 children versus 3.3. It's not sustainable. You can't have 3.3 resource people taking care of 48.6 under-resourced. Okay. And only the fourth thing, only 11% of individuals from the bottom 20% of households get a college degree. So the problem is that there's a multiplier here. So why would a school district even be wanting to consider what I'm about to tell you next? Well, part of the problem is this. We stop dealing with parents when a kid hits middle school. We stop. For a lot of reasons. I'm not sure why, but we do. And what happens in this mix is this, that the costs are unbelievable. And we have done it, and here's how we do it. But here's why we do it. And the return on investment. The average cost of a dropout per year to a school is about $7,500 a year. It costs $7,500 to take 12 adults to getting ahead. Now, I want to talk about what getting ahead is. Okay, and I'll come back to this slide. Getting ahead is how we educate under-resourced parents. It's we only take 12 at a time, and we pay them to come. I've had a lot of people say to me, Ruby, that's just awful. They should want to come to learn. I said, really? Find me one professional who doesn't get their salary while their training is paid for. Find me one. Why would we not do that for adults who have fewer resources? So we pay them to come. 
So the workbook cost $18. That's all that we get back. The adult gets $25 gift card or grocery coupon each time they come to a class. And class on the average is two hours. We tell them you are a problem solver. We, you have to be to survive. We don't think you get the same information other people do. And so we just facilitate this information that they go through and they become investigators into their reality. And at the end, they come up with a future story for themselves. This has nothing, nothing to do with their children, anything else. It's them. Because you can't give capacity to somebody if you don't have it yourself. And so one of the things we do is we want to give capacity to parents. We want to talk to parents about, hey, who are you? And what do you have going for you? Because you've got a lot more going for you than you know. Okay. And what happens is they change. Um, they change how they interact with their children. And TJ, what it is, it's a program that you, you purchase the workbooks through us. Okay. But it's 18 bucks for the workbook. But you do the training with parents. We have a, a webinar where you can get learn how to do it. There's a facilitator manual. But the bottom line on the thing is you are taking your parents. So it's going to cost you to go through this workbook. So it's going to cost you. Okay. Thank you, Kiko. It's going to cost you about $7,500 to do 12 adults, usually about nine finish. We find on the average, after six months, 80% go on to make more money or get a job, and some 40% go on to additional schooling. But what really happens is it changes the way they interact with their children. They say things to their, their children like, hey, you are going to finish high school because you know what? You are going to have a future story because you're not going to live like I did, okay? And I didn't know this, but now I do, and you're going to do it. But if you have just one more student stay in school out of those 12 parents, you've actually recouped your cost in one year for 12 people. And you have, if that child stays in school for four years, you've quadrupled your money. The bottom line is this. We have to look at who's going to buffer the neighborhood effect for the child. Okay. And that's the key factor in this whole thing. How we do that, how we begin to see parents at the secondary level as buffers for the neighborhood, as groups of people that will support the well-being of the school. But to do that, we have to give them the tools. I want to end. So it's called Getting Ahead. And if you would like to know more about this, we are across the United States forming partnerships between school districts and community organizations who want to work with parents to uh, bring this buffering effect to the community, to strengthen the community. We had one um, community in Muskegee, Muskogee, Oklahoma. They have actually lowered the poverty rate in their community by 7%. They've been doing this eight years now. And what they're doing, actually, is they're providing capacity. I'd like to end with, with a couple things here and then open it up for questions. 
One is this. We have a conference, and I'm going to finish with a video about this conference. We have a conference in October in Cincinnati in which we have people from all across the United States who are using this work, who are with the 30,000 adults we talked about to change their realities. And you can talk to a lot of people there, okay? But the second thing I want to say is this. You know, I, want, I always like to leave people thinking a little bit, okay, if possible, are the larger frames we're up against. One of the things that happened when we were primarily agrarian is that human capacity, the ability to be self-sufficient, the ability to make your own resources, was actually developed by the family and the church. In the industrial era, we developed it through institutions, schools, governments, corporations educated a lot of people, churches, families. But now, what we have is we have a situation where we're in a knowledge-based economy. You make money out of your head. And the problem is really simply that you have to have human capacity now in order to make money. And you have to have this mental human capacity if you want to survive well. And part of the issue is how does that get developed? We had a defense industry, come, uh, a, a company who works in the defense industry. They have about a billion dollars worth of contracts. And they said to us, we think we're very intrigued with what you do because we think you have the ability to develop human capacity. And we think that's the next frontier. And you see, the issue is simply this. In America, if you don't get your human capacity between the ages of 5 and 18, that's the only time it's free. If you don't get it then, and your family can't provide it to you, and your community can't provide it to you, how do you develop it? In other words, how do we start developing base root capacity to individuals who, for whatever reason, didn't get it to develop it between 5 and 18. How do we do that? It's going to be a huge issue for our, our country in the future. So I want to show you this video, and then I'll open it up to questions. It's a video about the conference, and then I'd love to see what kinds of questions. But I really, I have come to understand it's not enough anymore. Institutions alone cannot buffer those neighborhood effects particularly as a secondary area, particularly with early puberty. So let's see if anybody has questions. Anybody have questions about it or anything you want to know? Uh, Jerry, the four, six community sectors, there's multiple communities. They can be the faith community. We have a book for law enforcement. We have a book for... Um, getting out, re-entry for police, I mean for prisoners. We have one on the healthcare side. We are working right now, I'm working with a uh, state banking association. Um, so there's all kinds of partnerships right now that are available. In fact, but both banks and utility companies are required by law to give money back to high poverty communities. In the banking industry, it's called CRA. Credit Reinvestment Act. Um, and what have you seen examples of churches 
Yes. There, uh, Tricia, there is one in Pennsylvania um, uh, by, headed by a man named Chuck Holt. He and the local school district have been partnering together now for some time to work with, make it. And they last year spoke at the conference about the results they're getting. I'm very, very happy with it. What is the ideal age for implementing this program? I would say that I would start as young as, as 16 is great. You have 16 to 19. The sooner you can get them started, I really recommend that you start working with parents as young as 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade. Now, a lot of people use getting ahead with young young uh, parents, parents in elementary. But I'm we are really targeting that secondary level, the middle and high school, because that's where the neighborhood effects just impact so significantly, where we lose them so tremendously. Um, our rules is great. You use this with Kendra. You use our rules for teens. But one of the things we're using this, getting ahead for the adults to begin to help them but for the neighborhood effects. Now, you can use it across the board, but we have such a gap, a hole in the school business with secondary parents. Um, what is the bank funding for the community called CRA? It's called Credit Investment Act. Credit reinvestment. Yes, an alternative school, secondary, yes. One of the things I really recommend to schools is they'll say, well, how do I know which parents to get? Well, most parents you just say will pay you to come. We're trying this out for the first class. After the first class, you typically people want to be in it because they've heard about it. It's facilitated. Um, and what we do is that in, this, in the facilitation, um, we work this through them. We work the lessons, they work through the lessons. Uh, alternative school, I would select secondary parents. Now, let me say one thing about parents. If you know, if you know that the parent has an extreme mental illness issue or the parent is um, um, an incredible drug addiction, we, we recommend that maybe not, okay? But for the parents who just life is crisis after crisis after crisis, they're doing their very best, and issues are still coming up, they, they really benefit from it. Uh, what about utilities, Jerry? Utilities, I don't know what the name of the program is in utilities, but utilities are required by law to give about back about to help people in poverty with their utilities. And the incentive for a lot of utilities now is this. They notice that they keep paying and paying and there's no change in be, uh, behavior. And they're very interested in how they also bring capacity to the situation. Um, and my guess is by different uh, utility companies, it has different names, but it's a federal requirement. We love single parents. We absolutely love single parents. Okay, um, and we I I vetted this with um, a homeless shelter with men. So yeah, it works across the board. If there are any other questions or any other comments, do I have funding suggestions for a public school? Yes. 
one of the things is is that you can use sometimes your your um, Title One money for grocery coupons for food. But what we like to do really is we like to go into the community and find businessmen who are willing to give three hundred twenty five dollars in gift certificates for a, a person gift cards for a person to go through getting ahead. There's many many people in your community who for three hundred twenty five dollars. They're actually willing to support a person, and then we invite them to the Getting Ahead graduation, and they get to meet the person that they provided this to, and it's it's just amazing uh, what it does in communities. The for we also recommend that to really involve your community side in the six sectors six sectors that you give them bridges training. Um, and you can go on our website, the link to Bridges Training. It's a framework adapted for communities and sectors. So it has a different approach to it. Is there a specific workbook for getting ahead for parents? It's the same one as we use for adults. It's the same. We are looking at how we really have better outcomes for schools and buffer those neighborhood effects. They're really there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all you do for students. Uh, it's just going to take all of us uh, many, many years. But we can uh, change the, the way we look at the issue by uh, providing buffers to the neighborhood effects.